spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 167th Annual Subliminal Session Podcast. Your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody. I'm Joe and pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Uh, not doing too bad. I have a question for you. Being a history expert, maybe only you can answer it. So okay. I remember, I don't know if it was last week or the week before that, I was talking about the Vinland saga. I don't know if you saw my post on Instagram from last week. I did not see the post, but I did actually watch the first four or five episodes. Okay. So with this show, I don't I just want to know if it's historically accurate that the Swedes took over uh Great Britain or England. Um they so eventually they did um take over, though it was through the Norman conquest. Normandy, obviously you've heard of Normandy, like the Normandy invasion. So that northwestern region was conquered by people called the Normans, who were actually from Scandinavia. They were like Nordic Vikings who had conquered that region. And they're the ones who actually came up and conquered the UK, Great Britain. Gotcha. So yep. if you've watched four, you know, three or four episodes, then you got to see how badass his uh, dad was, right? Oh, yeah. Superhero-like. Definitely. Yeah. Guy, what was the name? Yorm the Troll or something? Fucking badass. Yeah, it's really, it's like a really good, it's got a really good story. Yeah, I think episode three, they were trapped in some kind of like cavern deal. And he basically had like a spear coming through him and he had been stabbed a bunch of times. And he just played it off like nothing happened. Like, Yeah, he's he's pretty sweet. Um, It's a pretty good story. It's very sad and... All that. Hopefully, it's supposed to come back next year sometime for like the second season or the third season. I don't remember which one, but uh, but it's pretty good. Uh, Phil, you been you been watching anything uh, good? Well, I am actually thinking about getting Hulu for something that's going to be coming out in a, about a week or two. So basically, there's going to be a biopic of Mike Tyson. I, it's I believe it's called Mike, and they got the guy who they got to play it looks and sounds just like him he even has like that signature lisp like down and everything and just the uh the trailer like the teaser trailer for the show gets you like really pumped up for it it's great i think it's been released already hasn't it i don't believe it's out yet i think it's coming out either this weekend or next i'll have to check okay uh i thought i had saw it on there i did cancel my hulu membership a while ago so don't quote me on that but i thought it was already kind of started no i don't believe it's already started i think it's it's upcoming but there is also of course hbo now that i have to pick up because of house of dragons so i'll probably just end up stealing my hulu from probably either my mom or my sister and then buy the hbo subscription so, so get rid of disney you know <laughs> so i would recommend as well 
because I've been watching HBO, watching the newest seasons of Hard Knocks. Uh, I always love Hard Knocks. Were you a fan of that show? A little bit. Yeah. I especially liked the one where I believe it was the Oakland Raiders. What's the, was that, what's was, the one where? I don't think that was last year. No. Oh, no. Actually, hold on. Cleveland Browns. When <laughs> when they just got their brand new quarterback in. Yeah, when they just got Baker there. Baker Mayfield. Yeah, that was uh, that was a good season. I enjoyed <laughs> that one. Uh, Detroit Lions this year, Phil. So ain't nobody had worse luck than the Detroit Lions, I can tell you that. No, shit show. They get rid of their fucking franchise quarterback and he goes and wins the Super Bowl in L.A. <laughs> Bigger and brighter. I know your sister, and I think you said your mom, would be proud of me because... On the recommendation of many a people, I have began to watch 90 Day Fiance and Ooh. what a fucking shit show, but it is very entertaining. Oh yeah, definitely. That trash TV that, trash TV that uh, I think ID puts out. Well, that one is Bravo uh, or TLC, one of the two. Oh, I watch it all on the, um, the app. So ah, it's okay. ID Discovery or whatever it's called. Uh, Discovery Plus. Discovery Plus. Yeah. As apparently Discovery Plus and HBO are combining, so that's kind of neat, but, um, yeah, I oh, don't know yeah. when that's happening. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good for all, like, the true crime stuff, too, so. Oh, yeah, and paranormal stuff. Good for that as well. Um, yep. speaking of that, Phil, uh, are you, you ready to, uh, take the reins here and lead us on a, uh, little journey? Yes, I am. Yep. More true crime than paranormal this week. Okay. So, Either works. Now, normally, I would give a long, long-winded introduction to this episode. However, this is a very different type of Phil episode. <laughs> Born on July 15th, 1962, in the Ohio town of Hamilton, Glenn was the sixth child of seven, born to Edna and Claude Rogers. His father, Claude, a hard-drinking former service member, originally from the Kintock. According to his brother, Clay, and older sister, Sue, Claude was a bit of a drinker and uh, did enjoy his moonshine like any Kentucky man would. Uh, he, of course, also was a horrible abuser towards his family. Actually, when Glenn was born, he had lost his job due to his overconsumption of moonshine. This really caused the family of nine now, mother, father, and seven children, to live in an extreme poverty in the small Ohio town that they had moved to. Okay, well, if you're getting fired from your job in Kentucky, you have to be a serious drinker. Oh, definitely. Yeah, basically at this time, they had been bouncing around, bouncing around. Hamilton would pretty much kind of become like the family's permanent home, but really they did... I mean, they still had a, quote, family farm back in Kentucky, which looked more like a meth shack. So <laughs> it, was an old, it was an old moonshine shack that, you know, they half lived in and half kind of escaped to, you could say. Um, what I was going to say is, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but I learned this and I haven't even been to Cincinnati, but like you got Cincinnati, which is basically, I don't know, it seems like every, but more people from Kentucky use Cincinnati than people from Ohio. So they must be right around that area somewhere, right? Yes, definitely. So a lot of people don't know that Cincinnati might as well be a Kentucky town from what I've yeah. heard about it. It's very, very close to Kentucky. Actually, their airport, I believe, is in Kentucky. So you see pictures when I was looking this up, 
and kind of watching some documentaries and stuff, you would see this Glenn person when he's older. He's wearing a t-shirt that says made in Hamiltucky. So <laughs> Hamilton is very close to Kentucky. So. Um, okay. You know what I can say, though? I've heard a lot about Gold Star and Skyline Chili. My boss actually was born in Cincinnati, and she gave me like a little packet to make your own, I guess, Skyline Chili at home. That you then put over okay. spaghetti, and yes. yeah. it is so good. I wish I could get more of it. It's kind of expensive to get online, but uh, apparently there it's really cheap. Yeah, I have heard that it's really good. It's almost like one of those things where you have to get a Philly cheesesteak while you're in New York. You have to get pizza, or no, Philly cheesesteak while you're in Philly. You have to get pizza while you're in New York, kind of that sort of deal. I've heard that you have to get chili over spaghetti while you're in Cincinnati. I was going to say, you almost said Philly in New York. You were about to get shot to death oh. and, and berated on the internet. Our fucking, our fucking reviews would go from 3.7 <laughs> down to 2.1. They would just repeatedly fuck us. Claude, known to be a gun enthusiast, would, according to Sue and Clay, fire his guns off at and inside of their small, humble home. Also, pointing pistols at their mother's head. All, of course, while being heavily intoxicated. Now, according to Glenn's brother, Clay, this caused he and his brother to start off their life of crime very early, breaking and entering into Hamilton, Ohio homes, stealing money with their first robbery, actually happening when Glenn was only eight years old. This would kick off a multi-year crime spree, ending with both of the boys being arrested and sent to various reform schools and juvenile prisons, with the older brother, Clay, being accused of actually being the ringleader of a criminal enterprise inside of Hamilton, Ohio. Okay, I mean, how big of a criminal empire can it be in a small town? Is Apparently, Ham these two were the definition of latchkey kids, and gotcha. they were robbing over their crime spree. Is they... Brother Clay, when he was much older, obviously, claimed that they had robbed over a hundred homes. Wow. Okay. I mean, guns and drinking, that's Kentuck behavior. Um, Definitely. Yeah, I, I guess they're kind of just, I don't know, but also guns and alcohol doesn't go doesn't go well together. A lot of uh, mishaps can, can transpire, but, you know, if you're 18 years or eight years old, I should say, Probably not going to be the most prolific robber, so kind of makes sense why they'd be going to juvenile prisons and reform schools. So this was when Clay was only 16 and Glenn was 13 when they got caught in gotcha. reform schools. Okay. Yes. Well, still, you're not exactly, you don't exactly know how to get away usually. Oh, definitely. Though they, uh, he actually, the older brother Clay actually said that they had gotten really good at it, and his younger brother Glenn was extremely brazen, actually robbing houses while the residents of the home were like in the yard, like doing yard work, or you know, in the home but in different areas. He would actually just kind of run in and run out with shit. Okay, so, yeah, that's pretty ballsy. Definitely. Now, the man that I am speaking of has to be introduced at this point. It is the renowned serial killer, Glenn Rogers, also known as the Casanova Killer, also known as the Cross Country Killer. Years after he would be captured, tried, and sentenced to death, Glenn Rogers would actually admit to a correspondent, FBI criminal profiler Anthony Malay, 
that he had committed his first murder at the young age of 13. This was while mopping floors with his father at the United Way in Hamilton. He had claimed that his father would bring a woman into the basement of the building. This, of course, was for the cheating on of his wife. Uh, and he would actually make Glenn answer the phone whenever his mother would call, which was repeatedly. This because she knew, of course, that her husband was there with a woman. Okay, so dad's kind of a little asshole here. Are they having oh, sex in the oh, basement yeah. of a United Way? Basically, yeah. So apparently whenever the mother would call, uh, he would claim that she would call her a whore and act as if she was a prostitute. Uh, okay. Now you have to realize, though, Glenn Rogers is a con man at heart. Gotcha. So this story is a, a supposed alleged. So he is only actually confirmed to have committed five of the numerous murders that he claims to have committed. This is one of those murders. Okay. That he claims to have committed. Gotcha. Okay. It was during this time that 13-year-old Glenn Rogers' life would change forever. According to the story that he had told the criminal profiler, Glenn who had gotten angry at that woman after she had made some snide comments about her mother, about his mother, after she had called repeatedly. Apparently, Glenn chased her down and pushed her down the staircase. This caused Glenn, obviously 13 years old, to run and hide from his father, uh, afraid of, you know, the punishment that he would receive. Though, after Claude had found the woman's lifeless body at the base of the staircase, he actually went up and found Glenn, yelling for him, made him come down to the bottom of the staircase and help clean up the scene of the murder, telling Glenn that he could never tell anyone about what had happened there, especially his mother. Glenn would claim to him that it was the first real conversation that he had ever had with his father. I Look, I'm just going to say, not sure I would say this is the best father-son bonding moment after he just Definitely. kills dad's mistress, but you know what? I guess every family is a little different. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it is odd that, you know, this was the first heart-to-heart -heart that they had ever had was basically helping your father dispose of a body, which you had most likely murdered. Uh, it's not really sure if... Glenn actually killed the woman by pushing her down the staircase, or if Claude had found her at the bottom and actually finished her off. But what's for sure is this is the story that he's telling. He claims that it's the first murder he ever committed. But here's the thing. So in this moment, do you believe that his dad thought she just fell and it, like he didn't kill her? Well, according to the story, his dad believed that he had pushed her down the stairs. Okay. All right. I, you know, okay. I guess that makes sense. Why? Because if she, he thought she just fell, he probably would be like, you know, calling um, 911 or something. Oh, I do not believe that Claude was the type of man to call 911. Gotcha. I don't think, no, I don't think that's going to happen. He's a, no. uh, he's a, he's a, we ain't need no cops around here. Yeah, he is Kintuck to his bones. Gotcha. Definitely. Okay. Definitely, yes. After the brothers' robbery spree had finally ended, Glenn, like I mentioned before, would be sent to reform schools, one of which 
is named Tico near Columbus, Ohio. Tico, which actually stands for Training Institute of Central Ohio, was a juvenile prison for serious offenders. And according to his brother Clay, Glenn faced severe mistreatment and sexual molestation from the guards at Tico, also the other children. Ooh, okay. So this is, when you said he was at like different schools and stuff, you know, you hear about these serial killers or uh, even murderers or just criminals in general. They always go to these places and get molested and, and, and stuff like that. And it just kind of, I don't know, help. it just helps create the uh, serial killer soup. Oh, definitely. Anyone who listens to Small Town Murders knows that that is definitely the part of the recipe for making a murderer is just spending time in one of these terrible fucking juvenile halls. Charles Manson did it. Carl Panzerim did it. Albert Fish, although I think he was enjoying it. Um, oh, the stories about Albert Fish. Yeah, he probably probably enjoyed it. <laughs> probably like, just telling the old nuns to hit him just a little harder. Just spank him <laughs> a little harder. He, he likes it. Telling him about all the other bad shit that he did, helping him to piss him off. <laughs> Maybe five more? <laughs> yeah, I've been really naughty. You better spank me a few more. Oh, definitely. God, what a horrible fucking... Every, everything I've heard about that guy, every time I ever see a true crime podcast or uh, any kind of, you know, documentary with Albert Fish, I always, like, second guess whether I should watch it or not. <laughs> Ugh. It's Jesus. a lot. It, it's, a, it's a lot to handle. Yeah. After his time at Tico, Glenn Rogers would decide to move an old girlfriend into his home. Uh, the girl, Deborah Ann Nix, was 14 years old, and she had just had a baby. The baby was not actually Glenn's, it was another man's. But Glenn decided to take them both in, uh, as apparently at the time, women were not allowed to leave the hospital with the baby if they didn't have an address to go to. So actually, a few years later, Debbie and Glenn would also have a child. Uh, this is actually Glenn's first. Though apparently he was extremely controlling and abusive towards his wife, once beating her so badly in 1983 that he felt the need to flee to California due to the police coming after him for what he had done to his wife. Uh, his wife was forced into the hospital and spent many weeks there. Deborah divorced him soon after. Whoa, okay, we got a lot to unpack here. Glenn just gets out of this at a reform school. He has an old girlfriend who, mind you, at the time is 14 years old, which means it was must have been his girlfriend when she was like, I don't even know what, like 10 or 11, 12. And so in the documentary and the different kind of articles that I read, he was about 16 years old. At the time that he moved her in, she was 14 years old. Uh, also, it said that he was well out of you know, going to any sort of like high school or junior high. He was basically done with all of that. I mean, yeah. Who, what kind of, uh, you know, honorable Kentucky gentleman goes to school after the age of 16? Um, oh, definitely. So yeah. somehow she was pregnant and had a child by the age of 14, which yes. is wild. Usually you only see that shit on like Mari. Yeah. The it didn't really say who was the father. Or, like, what circumstances led to the, you know, the pregnancy, if it was basically if it was against her will or if it was a boyfriend, whatnot. But I have no idea. Uh, it just says she had a baby. It wasn't Glenn's and he moved them in. 
that sort of situation. Well, so. the only two people I know who like girls that young are Woody Allen and R. Kelly. So, but I don't think they were around at this time. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's I, I don't know. Woody Allen is pretty fucking old. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. But I think he had already already married his thirteen year old cousin or whatever she was. Oh, now, yeah. okay. At first, I was like, "Oh, that's nice of Glenn." You know, he's taking on this girl who couldn't get out of the hospital because she didn't have a dress. Yada yada yada. And then it goes into, "Oh, he was actually a complete piece of shit, beating her and stuff." Yeah, it was. So, according to everything that I've seen. Glenn Rogers has this idea of what he wants with a family. Basically, his his upbringing and his you know family life was so shitty. He wants to kind of do right by his wife and his kids and all of this like fantasy. The problem is, he's a factor in all of that, and everything he touches turns to shit. Yeah, I would say he's a common denominator of causing it to turn to shit in those cases. Oh, definitely, yes. Now, while in California, on the run from Ohio police, who he thought were after him, Glenn would actually meet another woman. She was named Kathy, and he would have a child with her also. Still really, like I mentioned, kind of just chasing this dream of having his own family, though that relationship also would not work out. Uh, Many of the same reasons applied. The two would actually split up in 1984. Around that same time, Glenn's father, Claude, would actually become paralyzed due to a stroke. He would die in 1987 after, you know, suffering for a few years. Uh, His mother would quickly actually just move another man into the home. Uh, She had actually begun seeing him, apparently while she was nursing her paralyzed husband, Claude, back to health before his death. So this family doesn't really wait around long for any sort of a partner before moving on. Glenn does it. His mom does it. Kind of wild that she already had one, you know, kind of in the bag while he was still paralyzed. Yeah. Well, basically, she had been with Glenn's father, Claude, since she was, I think, like 18 or 19 years old. She stayed with him for decades, and then it ended. And I think she, from the sounds of it, if, you know... I have no idea that, you know, the trauma and abuse evolved with, you know, kind of controlling someone. But you would have to think that she'd be happy that this guy finally died. You know, the fucking cherry on top of everything after years of being a fucking abusive drunk asshole. Then he goes off and has a stroke. And now she needs to be his full-time nurse. That's even worse. That's just, ugh. Here's the thing. I totally forgot about um, Claude cheating on her and all of that. So, you know what? Maybe his mom got revenge being that he was paralyzed. Maybe she was fucking the young strapping lad right in front of her husband and he couldn't do nothing about it. Maybe she got sweet, sweet revenge that way. Fucking him out while he's on the couch. Yeah. Just drooling. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Possibly. We can only hope because Claude, from all fucking stories, is a real asshole. Yeah. He sounds like a dick. Now, after Glenn's second failed marriage, he would actually move back to Hamilton, Ohio from California, where he would continue to spiral into a world of hard drugs and quick crime, causing him to eventually get picked up by the local police. The police, though, this time would offer him a hell of a deal, trading his freedom for work as a paid informant, helping to put away his fellow drug users and bandits, all while really just kind of being abandoned himself. 
Uh, he did this for 10 years. Basically, he had cover from the authorities the entire time. They would actually catch and release Glenn many, many times after picking him up for one of the many crimes that he committed. So really, he had, you know, almost a free pass. Get out of jail free card every time. So this had to be like kind of I don't, during close to the 90s, right? Oh, yes. So his 10-year uh, tear uh, through <laughs> all of... Hamilton, Ohio, starts in the mid-1980s and really comes to an end during the mid-1990s. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So you and I would have been young children while this man was doing this? Oh, yeah, definitely. We would have been hating life in Catholic school at yeah. this point by yeah. the time that his uh, his decade-long run comes to an end. We weren't even uh, learning things like you know evolution and stuff while, while this guy was doing this. Nope, had no idea about anything. Pretty much we're told that dinosaurs maybe existed, like only because the state made them tell us about them. So <laughs> Now, what had also helped Glenn during this period in his life uh, was really what would aid him in finding and capturing his future victims. And that was Glenn's extreme personality, his very good charisma, especially his ability to sweet talk his way into and out of any situation. This would help him get one of his most famous monikers, the Casanova Killer. Though this consequence-free life of drugs and crime would eventually, like I mentioned, come to an end after the kindness of a family friend towards Glenn would end in murder. It's just like hearing about this guy so far, it's so hard to imagine him as being charming because is there, I, Glenn's like the most unsexy name out there and I'm sorry to the Glenn's out there. I know Cody's not exactly sexy either, but <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't seem like the type of person that could be charismatic, but I guess... I don't know. There's some ugly bastards who are charismatic. You just got to watch WWE or WCW or whatever. There's a lot of very yes. ugly, charismatic men. Technically, those are carnies. So you well, always have to remember that. But they actually say, I'm going to mention it uh, a little bit, actually, in the next paragraph. So really, they always talk about how good looking Glenn is. So everyone who ever meets him mentions like, oh, he's really good looking or he's really handsome. He's a really good sweet talker and all this. You see pictures of him from back then. And he is like today compared to today's standards or, you know, what you see in today. He is not a good looking man. But you have to remember 70s and 80s, you know, what made a man good looking, I guess, was very different. Very true. And younger kids kind of going back to the 70s fashion is something that I don't particularly understand because I think the men in the 70s almost looked borderline homeless, but that is just yes. me. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever floats your boat. Yeah, actually his younger pictures. So I remember the pictures of your dad and his family uh, back from like the 80s that were around your house. Glenn actually looks like a cross between your dad and Jeff Foxworthy. It's kind of weird. He's got the same. He's he's got that same mustache that your dad has, and kind of that same mullet that your dad has in all those pictures. Guys, the only thing grosser than imagining your parents having sex or grandparents is imagining Jeff Father Foxworthy having sex. I don't know why, <laughs> but if that guy had a secret porno of any kind, I would. 
He's the only celebrity I would never even want to look at. I wouldn't even want to hear his voice. I wouldn't want to hear him making, you might be a redneck jokes while he's having sex. I don't want to hear none of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, there's probably a lot of women in Kentucky who would disagree with you. But Very I'm true. guessing that they built statues of him there. <laughs> probably. Now, like I mentioned, the kindness of a family friend would start off the murder spree. So in Ohio in 1993, 71-year-old Mark Peters had actually taken in Glenn when Glenn really had nowhere else to go. In October of that year, Mark had been reported missing, along with his car and many of his personal belongings, including some antique guns. Glenn, nowhere to be found. As it turned out, Glenn would flee to California while the search for Mark Peters began. So this guy was like... Uh, a good friend of his took him in. He was probably semi-homeless, I'm guessing, at the time. I'm guessing a burgeoning drug addiction problem. And then he just kills him, offs him, disappears his yeah. body. Yes. So Glenn's drug addiction at the time wasn't burgeoning. It was in full force. Okay. Yeah. Are we talking like, God, I don't know, like Iggy Pop or OJ Simpson level? Or are we talking... Keith Richards level. I think we're talking between Iggy Pop and Keith Richards. Okay. We're somewhere in between there. So you got to remember, it is White Trashville, Ohio. So, I mean, there's probably getting mixed in, you know, whatever. It's one of those whatever they can get situations. I'm willing to bet. Okay. All right. So maybe like a Dale Earnhardt level drug addiction. <laughs> Possibly. Okay. I don't know if Dale Earnhardt was addicted to drugs, <laughs> but... You yeah, he actually kind of looked like him, too. He's kind of like uh, like the stencil for white trash is Glenn Rogers, actually. My favorite part about Dale Earnhardt, the senior, I guess, is I've I don't know if I've ever seen a picture of him that isn't a caricature caricature of some kind. Like, I don't even know if he's a real human or if it was just a cartoon <laughs> who drove a race car really fast who died. Oh. I don't know. He always did have, like, the scowl on his face. Yeah. Like, you almost never saw him smiling unless he was, like, recanting a tale of him putting someone into a fucking wall. You never <laughs> saw a smile on his face. Definitely. <laughs> now, in the documentary, My Brother the Serial Killer, Glenn's brother Clay claimed that he had found the body of Mark Peters while staying a few nights at the aforementioned Rogers family cabin in Beattyville, Kentucky. This was basically where his father would go to uh, distill moonshine and shoot guns off. Now, this was after Clay had been released from prison, and he was actually going back to Kentucky to cut tobacco for a living. <sighs> this just reminds me. I mean, our good old friend slash manager obviously was didn't kill anybody, but I we still, know of, yes. I still remember him talking about cutting tobacco i can so vividly remember that and this guy was i i what are you oh, hold on i should ask you cutting tobacco as in like harvesting the plants or cutting tobacco as in i don't know what other cutting tobacco is there well i imagine from the way he said cutting tobacco in the documentary he meant it like what jimmy used to say they okay. would basically like Put it on pikes and hang it up in yeah. barns. Okay. I'm guessing that's what they mean by cutting tobacco. The big ass leaves. Well, because when I was reading it for a second, I'm almost like, hold on. Can you cut tobacco like you could 
like putting uh, baby laxative in fucking cocaine or whatever. Like, I'm like, I don't know. That might be kind of hard to do that to tobacco. But I think <laughs> you you are right. Um, yeah, I always remember Jimmy was like, you know what? Sometimes they, they, they'll they be picking the tobacco in a the field. They'll throw them plants over their back and then they'll die of uh, nicotine poisoning because it seeps through their skin. I'm like, I'm the sweat, sure. Yeah, yeah. The sweat. And the nicotine seeps in. I'm like, I yeah. doubt that happened very often, Jimmy. But uh, thanks. I will not be, long, you know, carrying tobacco leaves on me while I'm sweating really bad. Oh yeah, they uh, they definitely had some pretty weird stories about cutting tobacco in uh, in the Kentuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, while trying to find something soft to make a bed for himself in the cabin, Clay had actually seen a leg popping out from underneath a pile of debris. He had known that it was his brother's work because he claimed that when he looked around after finding the leg, he had found one of his father's shot glasses slammed into the drywall near the body with a note left next to it telling him to get out of there. Also, this was not the first time that he had seen the aftermath of one of his brother Glenn's murders. Okay, when you said that, all I can think about is you've got fucking Clay here. Looking, you know, he looks, he sees the legs, leg popping out there and he just puts his hands on his hips and he looks up and he's like, oh, Glenn. And then that, that 80s laugh track comes in. (laughs) I just imagine that. Yeah. (laughs) Like, look, you have several brothers. I can't imagine you just being like nonchalant, like, God damn it, Jason, did you kill somebody again? I know this is you. This is got your markings all over, like. It's just a weird dynamic that this family has so far. Oh, yeah. I mean, they they basically were partners in crime since they were small children. And according, I'm going to get into the, like, in a little bit, talking about kind of the things that Clay claims to have seen from his brother. But it's just insane how nonchalant it is when he whenever he sees a body. He's always just like, oh, Glenn, get that out of here. It's almost <laughs> like... He ha- it's almost like you went over to Glenn's house and he had like a, a fucking porno mag on the table. You're just like, oh, dude, that's so low no, class having a porno mag. This it's is like, oh, dude, having a body in your trunk. That's so low class. You it's know? literally like Clay views his brother like a cat who brings a dead bird in the house. Like, yes, it's like a exactly. fucking nuisance. Like, come on, dude. Not again, Glenn. God <laughs> damn it. Yeah, exactly. That is exactly what it is. Yeah, that's perfect analogy. <laughs> Now, Glenn's brother Clay had decided to go to the authorities after finding this body and lead them back to the cabin where they would find Mark Peter's body. Clay said that he had turned on his own brother after the two had engaged in a multi-state crime spree. This happened from southern Ohio all the way down to the Florida-Georgia border, ending after Glenn had woken up Clay in a hotel room in Georgia, covered in blood with stolen items all over the hotel room. Clay said that after they had split up, Glenn would constantly come to the home of Clay. He would actually show Clay a dead body in his trunk, telling him that he desperately needed help getting rid of the evidence in the body. So basically just coming around just like a cat, showing you a bird, just like, oh, here's a, you know, here's a dead body. There you go. (laughs) Whoa. It's funny that they actually went to probably the most redneck place in the country, which is the Florida Georgia border. Um, oh yeah. So it yeah, I don't. I mean, 
I don't want to say I feel bad for Clay, but man, this is fucking weird. And I guess Clay, you know, finally turning him in, I guess his balls finally dropped. And he's like, okay, I need to do something because he's going to be guilty. I think you could get in trouble just by looking at the bodies and not telling anybody, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. If you were, if you, if you find a dead body and don't report it and the authorities find out, then it's basically like almost like obstruction. I think if you just do nothing, you know what? This is a good advice. I know a lot of people, Phil, you probably know this. You go on dating apps. Uh, a lot of girls be like, Hey, I like, I like hiking and stuff. What they don't understand is it's always the hikers who come upon upon these dead bodies. And then you got to yes. report it. And then your whole Saturday is ruined because you're sitting here talking to the cops, explaining to them how you didn't kill this body that's now sitting on a hiking trail. So don't oh, go hiking. You are suspect number one. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Yep. You know, what if you had tickets to, I don't know, fucking Cardinals game? You know, you ain't going to go. That's yeah. not happening now. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it's like. They always talk about fucking uh, small town murder, how that kid just wanted to go to WrestleMania. Yo. So he admitted to the crime. Yeah. I When I was watching that, that is so sad. He's like, can we hurry up, guys? I got WrestleMania tonight. You really think that <laughs> dumb kid killed somebody? Yeah. And almost got away with it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, after the authorities had found the body of Mark Peters in January of 1994, Glenn Rogers would become a wanted man in Ohio for the murder of Mark Peters, or at least he was wanted in questioning in relation to the murder. Glenn would once again set out for California. Before that, Clay had claimed that Glenn told him his number of murders was actually not down as low as you might think for someone who kind of just killed, you know, Mark Peters out of the blue. He said his number was actually closer to 50. And that the total, according to Glenn, would actually grow to 70 after finally being caught. Yeah, it's pretty unlikely it's that many. Obviously, we yeah. know these guys like to inflate their um, their numbers quite a bit. And seeing as Glenn is quite a con man, you know, obviously, yes. I don't know if I would trust him at all. I'm sure he's killed too many people. I guess killing one person's too many. But I highly doubt... Uh, it's that many. Also, do they just not realize that there is land beyond Ohio? Like, can't they figure out he's he's in a different state? <laughs> well, they did take their crime spree on tour. They went down from Ohio all the way down to Florida. So, yeah, he basically, he really likes Ohio, and he really likes California during those early years. I mean, very similar, I guess, right? Similar states. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Southern Ohio and yeah. LA are very similar. Definitely. <laughs> oh yeah. So he claims that the number was 50, but kind of, if you, you know, like in being into true crime and all that, the way that he left Mark Peter's body and the way that he killed him, I would definitely say it's gotta be one of his first few at least. It's very amateurish. You mean? Oh yes. It's, it's horribly, Unless he was going for style points or something like that, it definitely wasn't as clean as you would think someone who had killed 50 people and got away with it would be. You know? we, yeah, I mean, if you're hiding a body and you literally have a leg sticking out for your brother to see, I wouldn't say that's very, like, 
inexperienced killer. Not that that's a good thing, but you you know if you listen to new true enough true crime, you know an experienced killer versus somebody who's never done it before. Oh, definitely. What he had done was he had tied Mark Peters to the chair, stabbed him to death, and then covered him up with debris that he had found inside the cabin. Phil, he literally is a house cat. Yeah, that's basically what a house cat would do. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, exactly. Torture your victim, kill them, and then just cover them up with yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. I guess I would be an outdoor cat dude covered up because indoor cat on the reality litter, but it's a cat in general. Yes, outdoor cats also bury their shit. So. Yeah. We, yeah. We had outdoor cats, and it would always they would always bury their shit. So. Right. Now, it is not known for sure how many people Glenn Rogers actually killed as both Glenn and Clay Rogers are both highly skilled and highly seasoned con men. And that also, Glenn boasting of 70 murders and Clay claiming to have seen Glenn's handiwork firsthand is highly advantageous for both of these men, especially after Glenn's capture. Even though the total number of confirmed murders by Glenn Rogers is five, I'll get into all five of them today, he definitely went off the deep end in late 1995 receiving national attention for a spree of killings across Mississippi, Florida, and Louisiana after becoming a suspect in the September 1995 murder of Sandra Gallagher in Los Angeles, California, earning from the press the new serial killer moniker, the Cross Cruncher Killer. Okay, see, this sounds more reasonable. Five, I mean, I'll reserve judgment, you know, when you go through all these murders that he's doing but it seems like to me he's killing simply to get away with robbery am i right yes definitely if he did kill 50 people all of the 50 before three women that he had killed in the span of two weeks were definitely bandit killings basically he was killing them to cover up for a crime that he had committed like robbery or you know sexual assault gotcha just a Tell me if you agree or not. You know this motherfucker around this time. He was taking all the beanie babies he could out of their home. He'd be like, I'm these oh. these ain't worth much now, but they're gonna be much they're gonna be worth more later. Cody, Cody. What? <laughs> you gotta remember, with the age of the women that he was killing, and it was pound puppies. Uh, pound Definitely puppies. Definitely it was pound pound puppies. Beanie babies, maybe in the future, but pound puppies. There are so many discarded pound puppies in the fucking garbage dumps across America from, you know, estate sales of just taken out of people's homes after they die. It could be those precious moments angels, too. Remember those <laughs> fucking things? Oh, yeah. No, I do. <sighs> yeah. We don't need Bible word verses on our goddamn little whatever the hell those things are. Yeah. So as far as, like, taking trophies go, I'm going to kind of run this out like towards the end okay uh, so he does actually get kind of like an mo for his serial killings like later on like especially during his spree he really doesn't take trophies from what i've like kind of read and what i've watched but he did take a trophy one time and it's very important okay yeah. so on september 28th 1995 while a much younger cody and philip were probably eating way too much frozen pizza and drinking a shit ton of soda. Hell yeah. Glenn Rogers had met a 33-year-old mother of three in McRed's Bar in Van Nuys, California. 
Sandra, who had been celebrating the winning of $1,200 from the lottery earlier that day, was seen leaving the bar with Glenn that night. The next day, Sandra's remains were found in her own burnt-out car, and it was determined that she had been strangled to death, with the vehicle being set on fire after the murder, left in a parking lot near Glenn's apartment. Okay, so he's... Yeah, I, I mean, even from this one, you can tell uh, burning the vehicle pretty close to where he lives, not the smartest. So he basically, I'm assuming, went after this lady for the $1,200 that she was talking about? Well, I'm guessing, yeah. Well, so she kind of has a thing that his other victims will also have. Okay. So, okay. yeah, I, I am willing to bet that the $1,200, she may have boasted about it, and that could have been also the reason why it was the robbery of, you know, her money. You know what, Phil? Quick side note, you're 95. We were probably playing, I don't know if it would have been Super Nintendo or PS1, one of those two. I believe at the time it would have been, we would have just probably gotten PlayStation 1s. You would have had a 64, I would have had a PlayStation 1. So this would have been your birthday this day, right? Yeah, September 28th, 1995 so, would have been my 10th birthday. Of course, this was on a Thursday. I actually looked back at the calendar. This was on a Thursday, not a Friday. Ah, so we probably wouldn't have been doing anything yet, maybe that the weekend. The next day. Gotcha, yeah. okay. Not in Catholic, yeah, we are in Catholic school still, correct? Yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah, sadly, we are still in Catholic school. <laughs> And Wendy Schatz is our teacher that year. Woo. Oof. That was a rough one. Yeah, but, not great. Ugh, Jesus. Though all of, if not most, of the alleged or confirmed killings by Glenn Rogers seem to be for opportunity or convenience before this event, it seems as if Sandra's murder was possibly the first that a definite type of victim would begin to be repeated, as all of the women in this spree of murders was a young woman with red hair, much like his mother's hair, moving Glenn out of the category of bandit killer and into the realm of serial killer. Huh, okay. You know what, Phil? I gotta say, I think this might be the first serial killer to go after someone with red hair. Yeah, well, so they, in the documentaries that I watched, they really made a big deal out of all of the women's red hair. Kind of the deal, I did mention that his mom had moved a man into the home. Apparently, Glenn really did not like this. He kind of had a weird relationship with his mother. Uh, she was also, you know, very judgmental, very kind of neglecting. And he, like, really wanted to win her approval. And he really didn't like that another man was with her. So they really do think that the red hair was kind of signify his mother. Yeah. I mean, again, serial killers, pretty common they kill other people when they want to kill their mom or maybe an ex-wife or girlfriend, whatever, something like that. So it, it fits. Oh, definitely. Yeah, they're basically aiming their rage towards kind of what they see as, you know, who was at fault for their abuse. So even though it was the father who was beating the shit out of everyone and pointing guns at people, he kind of maybe blamed the mother or kind of not protecting him, maybe, is what they were getting into. Yeah, I mean, people like this guy, I mean, generally probably don't view women very highly, so it, he probably did blame his mother, even though it sounded like his father wasn't the great guy. Oh, definitely, yeah. Well, I mean, so basically all of the police who reported to these crime scenes 
claimed that whoever had done this basically, you know, stabbed them repeatedly and really just took out their anger on these women. Mm, okay. The next month, Glenn had moved on to Jackson, Mississippi, where he had met a widow named Linda Price at a beer tent at the Mississippi State Fair. Glenn and Linda quickly moved in together into an apartment three days later. Three weeks later, at the end of October, Linda would be found in the bathtub of their apartment, repeatedly stabbed in the chest, also having a slashed throat. God damn. I mean, look, Phil, let's be honest here. A lot of long-lasting relationships have came from the beer tent at the Mississippi State Fair. It's just it's where love oh, blossoms. I hope one day I can meet my future wife at a beer tent at the Mississippi State Fair. I I I want to. I, I think it's going to be my goal to go to this beer tent at a Mississippi State Fair. Um, yeah, find some burly girl who had just recently been fucking elbow deep in some cow's, uh, you know, backside. <laughs> I would. <laughs> That's just, a pretty girl right there. <laughs> I just want a nice Cajun girl who I can barely understand what she's saying. But she's got a cute face. It's all that matters. A total of eight and a half teeth in her mouth. Chews tobacco. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Doesn't love meth, but has a good relationship with so, meth. So yeah. real quick here. Do you think that he tricked her or whatever to move in with her simply to kill her? Or do you think he did it? He thought maybe something was going and then after three days, he's like, no, I got to kill her. So all of his relationships with women kind of delve down in this extremely controlling environment. Basically, uh, Linda Price's sister had said that every time that she had met Glenn, basically after they moved in together, Linda seemed kind of scared. And actually, she had witnessed like his controlling nature firsthand. So he probably comes on nice and then unleash yes. the beast, you know, pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. I mean... Just the, you know, sweet talking them into these situations, even when it's meeting some of these women at a bar and then taking them home or, you know, kind of like getting himself in to other people's lives. He definitely is super charismatic and just kind of moves himself in. He would have been a great cult leader, actually. Yeah, probably would have. Now, Glenn had crossed state lines into Louisiana after the murder of Linda Price, meeting up with an old girlfriend, Andy Giles Sutton her that he actually needed to leave town once again this time to go buy a car in florida he would get on the bus in tampa where he'd actually met up with another redhead tina cribs whose body would be found stabbed to death on november 7th by the hotel maid at the hotel where she was staying at after that glenn drove linda's car back to boiser city louisiana where he had met back up with his former girlfriend, Andy Giles. On the 9th of November, Andy, also a 30-something redhead, was found stabbed to death on her own waterbed by her roommate, Teresa Whiteside. Holy shit, okay. Yes. Why are these women even still talking to him if he, I mean, I don't know. If it's an ex-girlfriend or whatever, I don't know. Poor girls, obviously. It was, but... it was basically a girl that he had known and met up with a few times. It wasn't like they had been dating for months and months. They had just kind of like gotten together whenever he was in town. So God, it still is fucking weird. But um, yeah, it's man, that's it's crazy. I mean, even in, I know DNA and stuff wasn't 
super great in 95, but like him driving the car of the woman he, or no, I'm sorry. I read that wrong. He was driving Linda's car. I thought he was driving the girl he killed in Florida's car. And I was like, holy shit, oh, that's brazen. Sorry, I drove. I read that wrong. He was he was driving Tina Cribbs's car from Florida back to Louisiana. Okay, then that's really fucking ballsy on his end. Yep. It's just, it's just, I don't know. Like, Linda, he kind of, like, just told her, hey, I gotta leave town. So I wonder if that whole time he was planning on killing her anyway. Well, when he came back, that's possible. I have no, I have no idea if it's just one of these things where he just kind of caught, got caught in a groove. And, you know, like, you can definitely tell he's fleeing from these murders. And, you know, kind of aiming himself somewhere. Because yeah. he said, I have to go to Florida to go, you know, buy a car. But then he ended up just killing a woman he met at the bar that night and then taking her car sort of he deal. He doesn't have much so, of a cool down period. No, not at this time. That's that's kind of the weird thing. It's almost like you look at it and you're thinking he's just hitting his stride. Like he maybe has killed numerous people before this. And but then you look at the way he kills them and it's like he just leaves so much evidence and just leaves them there. After Sandra's murder in L.A., basically he did his best to, you know, get rid of the evidence. I mean, where exactly in L.A. are you going to hide a body? But he burned the car and tried to get rid of the evidence as best he could. Then he kind of goes out to Mississippi and puts her in the bathtub and kills her. Uh Supposedly, this was kind of his method of murder. He would kill someone, put them in the bathtub, let their blood drain out, wash the blood down the drain, and then go bury them. Maybe the body was found earlier than he thought, but after that, the next two victims get killed in beds, and he just kind of leaves them there. Almost like it's just a kill and leave. You know, he's right now he's just on the run, killing and fleeing kind of deal. Right. So, By the way... um. If you want to know where to hide a body in L.A., I think you just take it to Disneyland, where all the oh. rest of the bodies go. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing now it's probably just one of those situations where someone would just hide it in one of those homeless encampments. Mm-hmm. Probably. Now, after the murder of the four women in four different states across the country, news of the killings would finally reach the national news, with the fear that the spree wasn't even close to ending. Glenn's truck had actually been found at Andy Giles' apartment complex, and he was now linked to four women's deaths, along with that of Mark Peters in 1994. With the entire country looking for him, his mother would actually go on television, pleading for her son to turn himself in, though she and others were actually worried that Glenn was maybe on his way back to Kentucky to commit his last, final murder, that of his mother. So he's going to pull an old Ed Kemper there. Um, yep. A bumble butt. <laughs> finish it up. Finish the circle there. Right. There you go. Uh, okay. So the cops are on to him. So that's good. It isn't as like bum fucky stupid as it, you know, sometimes the police force could have been in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, by the 90s, they're starting to get their shit together a little bit. Um, and they're talking to each other too. Yes. So. That as well. FBI is fully involved. They're okay. Then that's probably the overlying reason why, uh, why they're actually getting something done. Okay. So he, he, if there's a national, you know, police and FBI after him, he can't last that much longer. Can he? 
Oh, definitely not. Yeah, so I had screwed up before when I said he was driving Linda's car. He had actually, when he had gotten to his girlfriend Andy Giles's um, house or apartment, he left his car in the parking lot, and then he'd taken a bus to Florida, driven Tina Cribbs's car back. Gotcha, so, okay. To Louisiana, yeah. So basically, they know that he is driving Tina Cribbs's car around because they've connected him to all of these murders so they know his truck is in louisiana tina cribs's car is still missing so they're pretty sure he's driving tina cribs's car around gotcha okay now a lot of them really thought that he was on his way to kill his mother his brother clay though claimed that he had had a phone call uh shared between he and his brother glenn and that glenn was actually on his way back to camelton however it wasn't to kill his mother he believes that Glenn wanted Clay to murder him and really kind of just take the demon out of his body and give it a new home, uh, bringing his spree of murders to a final end. Oh, okay. Well, uh, okay. This is a twist. So he thinks yes. he has a demon inside of him now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Normally, I would have started with this, but I wanted to save it for the end. Yeah, so. it, it's, it's quite... um. Quite a jump for from where we were. I'm now. I'm really curious about what is going to come out of this. I'm guessing Clay did not kill Glenn. Yeah. No. So uh, I believe actually Glenn, from all of the reports that I've read, he hasn't been executed yet. Okay. So okay. No, I believe he is still alive. Um, but it's kind of one of those deals where I don't think California's actually executed anyone in years. No. So. No. Now, like we know, all of the Kentuckians that we've known have dabbled in witchcraft and the paranormal, that sort of thing. Yeah. Tarot cards, all of that. Uh, as you can imagine, Glenn Rogers, really, you can tell he obviously suffers from, you know, just a platter of different mental illnesses, either due to his upbringing in an abusive home, torture during his time in juvenile hall, the years, decades of drug abuse, uh, any number of factors that may have really just kind of, you know, put Glenn in the state that he's in. Though Glenn Rogers actually has a belief about why he acted the way that he did. And that excuse was because from the time he was a child, he had been possessed by a demon. And that it was the supernatural evil force. This demon had actually forced him to murder his long list of victims. Okay. Um, woo, okay. Lot to unpack here. So I'm guessing, you know, as we know, Kentucky, Ohio, very religious. Um, oh, yes. So if he did, in fact, have a mental illness, I'm sure a religious upbringing or whatever probably is playing a part here. Um, that or he's really smart in thinking he can claim an, an insanity defense. But so, OK, what do you think going on right now? Do you think it's a demon, Phil? Well, I'll kind of get into a little bit going along with their religion stuff. So his father, Claude, when he actually met his mother, Edna, Edna was brought up in a super religious family. And Claude basically put the kibosh on that religion shit the moment that he took control of her life. So really the kids mostly grew up in an atheist home really by default because Claude didn't want them to have religion, you know, in the home at all. It kind of found them though, just because of like where they are. Like Jimmy always talks about, 
you know, being dragged down the aisles of the church in the snake handlers church religion. Oh yeah. Best one. Yeah. It just kind of finds you out there. Uh, his brother clay in one of the documentaries I watched actually talked about them watching a cleansing ceremony where they watch someone eat food off of a dead body kind of deal how they just kind of wound up at these religions he also talks about kind of them playing with tarot cards and one night when they were around a campfire in their 20s trying to summon demons uh it's all kind of you know all the woohoo stuff as leslie always talks about it you know <laughs> the woohoo stuff i love that okay yeah, yeah okay so I can she's from texas she always says woohoo <laughs> stuff it's funny okay so i can kind of understand where he's getting this from all right, maybe he did summon a demon and it got him, but I think the demon might be himself if 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 we're being real here. Yeah, probably just his father. Yeah, basically, yeah. you know, whatever his father did to him, just that's the demon. That's the demon living inside of him. His his broken psyche situation could be. Now, after Tina Cribbs' stolen vehicle was discovered driving in Kentucky, a 16-mile high-speed chase would ensue, with officers stationed at a roadblock, shooting out the back tires of the stolen car with a shotgun, eventually with one of the pursuing officers ramming the stolen vehicle into a ditch. The police would surround the vehicle after that. And actually, the funny thing is, the news cameras were at the roadblock, where the officers were shooting the back tires out. It's a pretty good video. <laughs> I feel like this is the shit you'd see on um, that John Walsh show where he was like America's scariest police chases or something. Oh, yeah, definitely. You would definitely see it on that. Yeah, it's okay. So you can see this video. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah, it's in all the documentaries. You can find it on YouTube. Okay, I'm going to watch it after we're done here then. That sounds... This literally sounds like some Dukes of Hazard shit. Oh, definitely. And he looks like he's backwoods Georgia type dude. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty great. At the scene of the arrest, reporters, like I mentioned, swarmed the site. And Glenn Rogers' arrest was filmed after he was taken out of the car and put onto the ground. Glenn would admit to the investigators that he had killed over 70 people. Though, his only confirmed murders are the last five that I've actually mentioned. With the police across the country looking for leads in their own cold cases, seeing if they could maybe tie the Casanova killer Glenn Rogers to the butchered men and women in their own jurisdictions. Now, this always happens with serial killers. Whenever yeah. a serial killer is caught, everyone always tries to put their cold cases to rest. Hoping Hen it's them. I mean, Henry Lee Lucas is kind of the poster child for this where it's like he's kind of he the confession killer yeah he's yes. he's got an iq of about 60 all he wants is coffee and cigarettes and he's like yeah i killed them i killed them i killed just for cigarettes so um yeah don't smoke kids but so this guy also it's from what i've seen it was almost like a camaraderie with the cops too he felt like he was helping yeah he, i mean if someone has that low of an iq they probably would think they're helping now, here's the thing yeah. with Glenn and the 70 people. If he truly believes that there's a demon possessing him, I don't know if you can take pretty much anything he says seriously. Also, the demon that possesses him might also be for a future mental insanity plea, is what I'm maybe guessing, too. Kind of, from what you hear, they always claim that they're crazy. Yeah. I mean, let's just say, let's just say, I'm not saying this is real. Um, Zach Baggins happens to be a serial killer, right? He always says he's possessed by the demons on the show. 
Are we going to believe yeah. him? I don't think so. Yeah, I do believe Zach Baggins possibly belongs in jail, but not for murder, just for being a terrible human being. <laughs> now, after Rogers' convictions and death sentences, death sentence in both California and Florida, an FBI criminal profile that I had previously mentioned, Anthony Malay, would actually begin writing Rogers while he was in prison, beginning the exchange of hundreds of correspondence letters between the two. This happened over a period of two and a half years. Glenn would end up telling Malay of the woman that he had allegedly pushed down the stairs at the age of 13 and the other murders that he had committed, including, if true, Glenn Rogers' highest profile murder of his entire killing spree. So, okay. <sighs> I Are you going to go into the the demon stuff more or are we kind of at that point right now? Oh no, we're done with that. Okay. We're into, we're into, yeah, we're into it right now. Okay. So, so. one question on that, if he believed that, right. And all of that stuff, I don't, I feel like someone who truly believes or is having like delusions like that wouldn't be, it'd be very difficult to be lucid enough to, write some with letters and stuff detailing all the mer- do you know what i'm saying yeah they kind of did read through some of the letters um they were very poignant letters they obviously the grammar and the spelling mistakes were you know constant he didn't i mean he spent most of his youth either in reform schools or out of school so it's a miracle he can write you know that well at all but yeah from the letters, they only showed about two or three letters, and they were all very, like, good storytelling, you know, kind of on-point stories. They weren't saying, like, crazy shit inside of the letters, I'm guessing? Well, they really only showed a few paragraphs of each of the two or three letters okay. that they showed. It was kind of one of those deals where they showed the letters, but they highlighted only some of the words and gotcha. then read along with those words. Gotcha. So who knows how fucking, you know, just scattered his his thoughts may have been when he was writing this stuff but from what they showed us it was kind of poignant i feel like a documentary who wants like a shock value if he was talking about goblins ghouls demons all this shit i feel like they would have pointed that out that's just my opinion could be wrong but i don't know yeah it i mean at the end of one of the documentaries they do kind of go into he Glenn Rogers does start doing like art while he's in prison. A lot of the art is skulls and demons and kind of like a demon living inside of his mouth with two portals to hell for his throat kind of situations. So that's kind of like they're getting into it a little bit at the end. It's kind of scattered throughout. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Yeah. Now we both grew up, you know, well, we were born in the eighties, grew up mostly in the nineties, right? Nineties were Pretty, you know, at the time they seemed pretty normal. Looking back, it was kind of like a like a like a big time in America. Yeah, ninety five. That's uh, Columbine. Oh yeah, a lot of shit happened in you know ninety four, ninety five. Right. Uh, fucking Kurt Cobain died. What ninety four? Ninety four. Um, yeah, the Macarena was ninety six. That was <laughs> that was a terrible when, year. When were the L.A. riots? Oh, was um, it like ninety four, ninety five? Or was it 90? 90, 93, 94. Okay. I believe. Yeah, it was. So it was a little bit before 95. Gotcha. But okay. in 1995, 
The eight-month-long trial of the century occurred in Los Angeles, California, when the culmination of a months-long murder investigation resulted in the arrest and double murder trial for O.J. Simpson, this being the killing of his former wife, Nicole Brown, and her possible lover, Ron Goldman. Now, what does this domestic murder have to do with the serial killer, Glenn Rogers? The answer to that is that the cross-country killer has at times in the past admitted to the pair's murder. Also, Glenn Rogers was in the Los Angeles area at the time, and even admitted to knowing Nicole Brown on a friendly basis to family members and friends, uh, really just right before the murders happened. And that is the topic for today's episode, asking the question, could the Casanova killer, Glenn Rogers, actually be the perpetrator in the highest profile murder of the last 30 years? Okay, damn, we we took a while to get here, Phil, Um, but I'm just going to throw this out here immediately. This is immediate. She doesn't have red hair. No, she does not have red hair, but she does have a lot of money. True. Very true. Um, I guess a could be i mean whoever whoever it is the mysterious man who stabbed nicole brown um almost cut her head off by stabbing her so i maybe it could be glenn yes using knives definitely is you know kind of his deal basically the woman that he killed in the waterbed uh the police during that documentary claimed that basically it looked like the woman was just completely flattened almost and stab marks all over her body yeah so yeah also very deep cuts on the throat uh slash throat so maybe just like maybe that glove was in fact glenn rogers could have been yeah it was too small for oj yeah and oj's got uh giant mitts being a larger man than he is yes he does now according to the theory put forward by glenn rogers he had actually been hired by oj to break into nicole brown's home allegedly and steal back a $20,000 pair of earrings, with OJ telling him about a spare set of keys which would actually allow Glenn to get into the house. This was after Glenn had supposedly climbed the fence, though when it all happened, Glenn was actually surprised by Ron Goldman. Uh, Actually, Ron Goldman at the time just kind of walked through the gate while Glenn was going to get the spare set of keys. Glenn would actually attack ron after he had come through the gate and shortly after attacking ron nicole would actually come outside to see what the commotion was all about okay first off is glenn aware that oj simpson did not play for the cincinnati Bengals? i do not know okay i'm pretty sure he uh, according to his sister sue he didn't know much about football okay i mean maybe he thought that the Buffalo Bills were in Cincinnati. I don't know. But so he's saying that OJ hired him to get these earrings back. Yes. According to his, you know, kind of like story or telling of it, he claims, well, I'll get into a little bit more about how he supposedly knew uh, Nicole Brown. Okay. But he claims that he was hired by OJ to break into Nicole Brown's home and steal back an expensive pair of earrings. Oh, okay. I'm going to reserve my comment until we get to that point, but uh, continue on here. I need to hear more more facts about this man. 
Yes. So after attacking Ron, Glenn claimed that he stabbed Nicole once. This caused her to faint. He then went over to Ron Goldman and basically, according to him, finished her off. Or according to him, finished Ron off and then uh, killed Nicole by nearly cutting her head off. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't... I. Here's the thing. As we know, and you even alluded to in an earlier murder... When he stabbed that one person, he stabbed her so many times. It's like a rage killing. And Nicole, I don't know if this man would be able to just stab her once and she pass out. Like, he would probably immediately go berserk, almost cutting her head off with stab wounds. Well, the thing is, I'm not sure how many, if he's ever killed two people at once. So really, you if you're in his kind of like mind, you've almost got to be worried more about Ron who could probably take you down if he got back up. If you hadn't done the job well enough, you know, he was probably more worried about Ron than he was Nicole. That is a good point. Now, all of this is kind of hard to maybe wrap your head around. For the past 30 some odd years, we've been kind of told one story. And now there's almost like this person, you know, a con man basically telling you another story and you already really don't, believe him that well um there is a a a little bit of evidence for glenn rogers involvement during the trial there was actually a second pair of footprints found outside of the murder scene uh one they claim was oj's the other though they claim that they really don't know also glenn claims that there was an angel pendant that he had sent his mother uh, in which he had actually wanted her to wear to his murder trial. He claims that that was stolen from Nicole. Uh, On the one-year anniversary of Nicole's death, during her vigil, everyone wore angel jewelry, like little angel pendants. Uh, It was kind of similar to the kind that he claimed to have stolen off of Nicole. Apparently, she collected them. Okay, so this is confirmed the second footprint. Well, it was during one of the big deals during the trial was the second footprint. Also, they kind of brought up that they thought that there might be more than one murderer because of just the the situation of how the murder went down. They didn't think that OJ could kill both of them in under six minutes and kind of like get out of there. Okay. Here's my only thing that I'm seeing right now is if this guy's kind of a scumbag and he's stealing back $20,000 worth of jewelry, I'm going to assume he's just going to keep it himself. So why would OJ hire him? What I imagine is if OJ had hired him to go grab the jewelry out of Nicole's house, he probably would have stolen the jewelry, stolen other shit, you know, jewelry, expensive stuff, and then given OJ the earrings gotten paid for it and then fenced the rest of the stolen items. Yeah. I suppose that's a possibility. You don't really want OJ pissed at you. He would have to leave town again, basically. (laughs) So he's a kind of, he's a big, scary dude. So, uh, his persona back then was this super nice guy. Like, you know, he was, uh, he was in the naked gun movies. He was doing announcement announcing for football, um, like gregarious personality, but you know, he was a big dude. You wouldn't want to piss him off. Okay. So what uh, what do we have any more evidence here? So basically not a shit ton of like solid concrete evidence. Okay. Um there's really mostly only Glenn's stories and then a possible witness to his truck. 
okay. parked outside of Nicole's home. But really right now I'm going to get, this is kind of getting towards the end. I'm going to get into how Roger supposedly came into OJ and Nicole's life. Okay. So according to Glenn, he had moved to California in January of 1994. And at that time he was working as a painter to repair the earthquake damage that occurred after the Northridge earthquake on January 17th of that year. Even though he was a wanted man in Ohio, Glenn actually came back to Hamilton for a family visit. Now, according to his sister Sue, Glenn claimed that he had met a beautiful woman that he had actually done some painting in her home for and had gotten to know her better after having drinks a few times with her. Is, so is he known for being a house painter? No, but I mean, he is known for like picking up odd jobs and, yeah. you know, doing kind of like... You know, drifter work, basically, yeah, I, you call it. I was going to say, it's literally what Albert Fish did, too, is painted yeah. houses and whatever. Okay, and so... also, can you think of a better way to case houses? Absolutely not. Yeah. Do you really think Nicole would be having drinks with the house painter, though? See, I don't know about that. Okay, so there's another... A movie that actually I watched that kind of gave me the idea to do this is... It's a little salacious. It kind of has them, um, it has her having him like have, painting the house and then she has sex with him and then she finds out he's crazy. Um, but it's kind of the deal where it's almost like he's boasting that, you know, he got this beautiful woman. But really, I mean, obviously, who knows whether she would have liked him or not. He was a, he was a charmer and a sweet talker. So maybe he got her to have drinks with him a couple of times. It's definitely possible. Yeah, he just does not seem like the kind of human being that she would hang out with. No, He seems like about five or six classes too low for her. (laughs) Very true. Though he did actually, he was known for going after lonely women. So if Nicole Brown, maybe after the the divorce, was kind of feeling lonely, he might have zeroed in on that. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a possibility. So Sue claimed that Glenn thought that she must have been rich because she had just divorced her husband, who had been a famous football player. Now, according to Clay, Glenn also told him about Nicole Brown Simpson and that he claimed that Glenn wanted to take her down. Now, Another person who claimed to actually hear that Glenn knew Nicole Brown Simpson was Linda Price's sister, Marilyn. Uh, She had actually claimed that while she and her sister Linda were outside of her home, Glenn, who had been there at the time, told them that while living in L.A., he had actually painted Nicole Brown's home. Though Marilyn at the time had thought that he was really just blowing smoke up their ass. Huh. Okay. But she would have been murdered already when he would have told her this, though, correct? Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. The I mean, by the time... The trial ended in October of 1995, so that trial would have been just coming to an end when they were hanging out, after they hung out. So it definitely would have been big in the news and everything, so, okay, you know, go ahead. The the biggest news story of that whole year. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Sophie's telling Marilyn here, you could definitely see him joking around or, like, trying to convince him of that, you know what I mean? Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, if he would have told them in 1994... In January 1994, that he knew Nicole Brown Simpson, they'd have been like, "Who the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> you know, no one knew. No one knew who Nicole um, Brown Simpson was outside of maybe 
her like super expensive neighborhood in LA. Right, exactly. Now, there isn't, like I mentioned, a ton of evidence connecting Rogers to the murder. Nothing really solid or concrete. Uh, there's really just his own admissions to the murder. There is also, like I mentioned, a person who, during the time of the murders, was walking their dog. They had actually claimed to have seen a white pickup truck, which actually matched a description to the white Ford pickup truck that Glenn was driving at the time. He had seen it parked outside of Nicole's condo at the time of the murder. Hmm. Okay, this is interesting. Although I feel like a white pickup's pretty common for painters. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Handymen, painters. Yeah. Anybody who works with their hands and drives around pretty much drives a white pickup truck. So, so are we kind of leaning on the fact that OJ saw him there painting or whatever or and just was like, hey, I'll pay you if you get my earrings back or something? Yeah, pretty or jewelry much. It's or almost... He knew that he had been in the home before and he could pay Glenn possibly to go in and steal the earrings back. Um, also, according to Glenn, OJ came after. So after a successful robbery, obviously, OJ would have came and gotten the earrings from Glenn. The only problem was OJ came upon a bloodbath when he, you know, went over the fence to go see what was going on. He expected Glenn to just be in and out of the home, but, you know, the two murders happened. And that's kind of the story of how OJ got to the murder scene. Wrong his, place, you know, wrong time type of thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, obviously he was going to show up after the robbery. He didn't realize that there'd be a double homicide. Right. You know, allegedly. And I'm saying allegedly because obviously, you know, most people believe it was OJ, but you know, he still claims that he's innocent. So, and I, he was, uh, he wasn't found not guilty. He was acquitted. Is that a difference? I don't think so. Okay. So not guilty. Acquitted means I'm pretty sure not guilty. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I, I don't, it's an interesting theory. I guess if he killed him, maybe it'd make more sense why OJ wrote a book called if I did it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then the family of, I believe either Ron Goldman or Nicole Brown actually won the rights to that book because of the money that he owed. And then they, they made the if part super, super small and hit it inside of one of the words. The oh letters. my God. Now that's clever. So, yeah. Instead of saying, if I did it, it's just says, it looks like it just says I did it. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. Actually. It's a nice little jab. So what are you feeling about old Glenn here? Do you, you think he did it or what? I mean, I would give it, geez, if it wasn't OJ, it was Glenn. That's what I would say. Though okay. I really, I would give it less than 5%. That it was Glenn? Yeah. But if it wasn't OJ Simpson, it was definitely Glenn. He is the alternate uh, murderer in the Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman. It's it's it goes OJ then Glenn Rogers, basically. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's I've never heard of this guy obviously before, but uh yeah, putting him at the scene is kind of interesting. I would really like to know like the actual psychosis of this man. Like is he is he really schizophrenic or like borderline schizophrenic or like Whatever, he has some sort of delusions that he thinks a demon did it or what, whatnot, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, they didn't. So in the couple of documentaries I was watching, they didn't really go into kind of like naming his different mental illnesses that much. They just kind of they were basically saying like he's fucking crazy. You can obviously tell this dude's crazy. So there was the the movie that I mentioned before, uh, kind of like a you know um, based on our true story but very fictional 2019 movie, uh, the murder of Nicole Brown. They claimed that. He heard voices, the demon inside of him, the voice inside of him, kind of like an alter ego was named Charlie and that it was Charlie who was like making him doing it. But from everything that I've read, he never talked to himself and he never, you know, he didn't really have these like alter egos. Um, Not that anyone who had ever met him had noticed. So So he might have just been saying that to try to get out of his crimes, I guess. Or possibly... The director might have just went with that to, you know, spice it up a little bit. I really, I mean, really didn't, besides him having demons that living inside of him, I didn't really hear too much of him saying, like, there's an alter ego named Charlie that makes me kill people, you know? Mm, Yeah. And I guess if he was in a drug-fueled state, I mean, God knows what could have been going on in his noggin, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, Phil, if anybody wants to let us know, if old Glenny boy here did, in fact, kill Nicole Brown Simpson, where can they uh, contact us? They can hit us up on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we love to hear from everybody. It's great. You know, I've actually gotten a couple of messages in the past uh, weekend that I haven't gotten back to. Sorry about that. I will try to get back to you. Uh, also, you know, on Instagram, Subliminal Deception Podcast. Uh, it's great hearing from everybody. I always try to, you know, get back to the people who message us. It's always great to hear from, you know, from everybody. Uh, Cody and I also have our own Instagram accounts. Mine is SDPodPhil. Cody, you have one? Yeah, you can follow me at Cody's Above. Give me a follow. Talk to me, do all that fun stuff. Uh, the last thing we need you guys to do is to log into iTunes, leave a show a five-star review. doesn't really matter what you say, just preferably five written, five stars, just write whatever you want in there. Thank you to everybody who's taking time to do that for us. If you're a Spotify listener, it is even easier. You literally click five stars, click submit. You can't even type anything if you wanted to. And we thank you to the vast number of people who've done that for us. It greatly, greatly helps us in the, uh, you know, expanding to new listeners department. Uh, Phil, excellent episode. I've never heard of this dude, but I love it. It uh, throws a little wrench in the OJ theory. We'll see- I figured you had heard of him. Like, I I, I, I thought you would have just already have heard of him. So, yeah, it was crazy. No, nah, not, not, not that I can recall. Maybe if I saw a picture of him. Anyways, guys, we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.